Heavenly Father, this morning we want you to be the only voice that we hear. This time of Christmas, there's so many things that call out to us, so many distractions from what it's really all about and what you want to do in our lives. So Lord, may you be the only voice that we hear this morning. I pray that you would give us an increasing reason that we clearly see to praise you and worship you, to serve you with all that we are individually and as a church. God, may you bring to us personally and collectively a revival of our spirits and our love for you. Lord, as we end our series this morning on Ecclesiastes, we pray that we would see clearly what truly has meaning in life and that we would pursue Jesus Christ above all. We pray in his name. Amen. We are wrapping up this morning our series, 17 sermons on Ecclesiastes. If you ever wonder, can you squeeze 17 sermons out of a 12-chapter book? I just did it. All right. So, and it could have gone more. So, be thankful it was just 17. But I, I really believe it, it is an incredible book that we've studied. And maybe you have never read the book of Ecclesiastes before. And maybe if you have, you hadn't really studied it. That was sort of me. I'd read it before, never really studied the book, didn't completely understand what it was all about. And I hope that over the last few weeks that you have at least gained some more knowledge and understanding, and more than that, uh, some spurring on to action because of what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. As we end the series this morning, I want to begin the last sermon with really what will be the theme for this morning, which is a choice between two options, two alternatives that you have. There's something that I used to do when I was a youth pastor, and I was leading smaller Bible studies, and I would ask the teenagers there, would you rather questions? You know, would you rather do this or that? Would you rather be this or that? I've got a whole book on would you rather, and some of them, of course, are very, very juvenile, which I won't bring up here. Some of them are pretty gross. Some are kind of funny and others are not. But I, I was curious to get some fresh ones, and so I did a little online research, as I sometimes do this week on Twitter and Facebook, and got some answers for what would you say would be some good would-you-rather scenarios. Let me, let me give you just a few. I'll get to some more later on. But would you rather be Batman or Superman? How many of you rather be Batman? Let's just see. Where, I'm with... Is that it? You kidding? He's the greatest ever. Are you kidding me? He's got the utility belt and all this stuff. He can't fly, but he's, he's completely human. Isn't it great, all this stuff you can do if you just have the right tools? All right, all right. Where are the, where, where's Superman? Now, ladies, I understand it's Superman, but, you know, is it because you want to fly? Is that the deal? The x-ray vision, the superhuman strength, you know? We've got some fellas in here that are already like that, of course, you know? We could parade all of our supermen up here in the front and, Goodness gracious, well, I've got my work cut out for me for the next year or so to try to get the Holy Spirit to convict you that it's Batman, not Superman. My goodness, I know what I can pray about, I guess. I know, I don't, listen, I, I, <laughs> it's not working out too well, Drew. I, uh, I, here's one that was suggested. Would you, would you rather always speak what is on your mind or never be able to talk again? Now think about that for a second. How about that one? Whatever came to your mind is what comes out of your mouth. No choice whatsoever. <laughs> or you could never speak again. 
Now, I'm not going to say which is better, because we know which is better. But would you rather, it's kind of interesting, would you rather be able to fly or read minds? Who'd rather fly? Who'd rather read minds? Listen, that's me. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? That'd drive you insane, wouldn't it? Whew. Would you, would you rather be hit by an NFL linebacker or a major league fastball? I chose the fastball in the numbers. I'm just going to tell you right in the middle of the back, I'll take the fastball because I'm not much on the helmet to the sternum. I, whew, I wouldn't want that. I've been hit by a fastball, and I, I, I survived. You know, I'm here to tell you today I survived. Would you rather be a thief or a beggar? Well, that's an interesting question. If you're a thief, nobody would know your need necessarily. If you're a beggar, everybody knows. And then based upon recent events, would you rather be a U of L fan or a UK fan? I mean, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, to me, that is an absolute no-brainer. And Drew, unfortunately, I, I'm, wor- I'm still working. The Holy Spirit is at work in the church. Look at the red everywhere. Praise God. <laughs> On that note, turn to Ecclesiastes. There you go. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Turn with me. We are going to finish today... What I said earlier, and I truly believe, is an incredible book that we've had the opportunity to study. And that theme of choosing between two alternatives will carry us through to the end of the end of the book. Let me recap very quickly the context and the idea behind the book of Ecclesiastes. There are really two different voices. One is the voice of what we've seen called the teacher or the preacher. This person who has studied basically all there is in life and has chased these things and tried to find what has meaning in life. And ultimately, as we'll see in the first verse that we'll look at, which rounds out his thoughts, he comes to the conclusion that essentially nothing has much meaning in life. The other voice in the book is really what we'll focus on today. Now, I've come to believe that, that there's a couple of possibilities here. That the true author of the book, I really believe, pens the words beginning in verse 9 through verse 14 of chapter 12. But it could be that that true author not only writes those words, but also, to make his point, pretends to be this teacher, this preacher, and giving us hypotheticals on what if you searched for meaning, what would you really find, and so on. It could be that he used the words of some other wise teacher, wise person, and so on, and then just shaped them and formed them by the Holy Spirit's inspiration into a book of Scripture for us to benefit from. Either way, we're going to get the main point that the, the, the author and the Holy Spirit want us to get this morning in verses 9 through 14. So that's what we, we're going to focus on this morning. But I do want to start in verse 8. So look with me in verse 8, and, and we'll read through the end of the, of the book. Verse 8 wraps up the words of the teacher and provides the segue into the words of the true author. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. In addition, this is where the author's words begin, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, you can tell it's obviously someone else talking now, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and accurately write words of truth. The sayings of the wise are like goads, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. 
There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. And all of our college students said, Amen. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, Fear God and keep His commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. You can see how the passage here is structured. In verse 8, you get the summary of the teacher's search for meaning. It's all futile. It's all meaningless. It's all fleeting. Nothing really lasts. And then in verses 9 through 11, you get the author's observations about the teacher. What was this guy all about? What should we think of this person who, whose search is recorded through the first part of the book? And then in verses 12 through 14, we get the author's conclusion of all that the teacher did and really his theology, what he believes we should learn. So uh, I'm going to structure the sermon this morning. You can see on the back of your bulletin, really between two alternatives. And that's what we're going to look at. You can do this or this. Would you rather, so to speak. We're going to look at those two alternatives as they're presented essentially in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at their outcomes and the choice that we must make and really, ultimately, the reason that we have for choosing wisely. So I want to look at the, the two alternatives to begin with. There, the, the, the teacher has presented us, and the author of the book, presented us with two main alternatives in life, the first of which is to chase the wind. This, is, this should be, if you've been with us, you probably could have predicted what I put there on the back of the bulletin. You can, first of all, chase the wind. That is one alternative. Look in verse 9 and through verse 11. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. And, of course, all that knowledge is about his search for meaning, chasing the wind. The teacher sought to, define, to find delightful sayings and accurately write words of truth. The sayings are of the wise are like goads, and, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. So the author here is giving his thoughts on what the teacher has actually done, his attempt to show the reality of the pursuit of meaning. He says here that he's carefully explored and carefully arranged several proverbs. So he's done a very careful evaluation. He's been honest. He's shown some caution and balance in what he's been doing, this teacher has. He's been very thorough and diligent, and he skillfully arranged these for a particular point. Do you see there? That's what the author of the book is saying. And he's telling us that this chase that we've been on is what the author, the, the teacher rather, has been trying to show us has absolutely no meaning. If we rewind to the very first sermon in this series, I want to give you the main points of the first sermon. You tell me if you've been here, if this is not exactly what we found. What we, what we looked at was a preview of the book. And, the, and these were the main points of that first particular sermon. First of all, life is complex. Have we not seen in the book of Ecclesiastes that the teacher, through the arranging and studying of certain proverbs and of life, has shown us that life is complex. You cannot get your arms or mind completely around it. There are things that happen that you just don't understand. It is a complex thing to be alive and to live life every single day. It's a complex thing. The second thing was that life has limits. If you've been with us, and, and maybe even if you've just read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know he is fixated on one thing. What is it? Not a trick question. He's fixated on death, the, the brevity of life. He's fixated on the fact that life is short, that you are going to die. It has limits. And because of those limits, because of death, rather, there are other limits. You can't know or, or experience or gather meaning out of every single thing. 
And then he goes on to say, the third point there was that life can be wasted. We've seen that. That ultimately he comes and says, I've searched and done all these things, and I've accumulated all this stuff and this knowledge, and and he gets to verse 8 of chapter 12, and what does he say? It's absolute futility. You can waste your entire life. And we could go back through the main point of every single message and just hit the highlights of those things and show that through this skillful arranging and thorough research, the teacher has truly shown us that you can chase the wind. And unfortunately, we still do. If I were to ask you, you know, if you want to wind up with absolutely nothing in your hands, with nothing to show for your entire life, is that, would you want to choose that? Nobody here who's in their right mind, which I assume is most of us. Correct? There's nobody on the front row, so apparently you're all in your right mind. You're not getting too close. But if we're in our right minds, which we of course all are, then none of us would say, I want nothing in my hands when I have to to account for my life. I, I just want there to be an absolute and complete waste. I just want to chase the wind. But yet we still do. You think of what we chase in life. We chase those things that we really believe are our deepest needs. You know, it's easy to say that folks out there in the world somewhere, those are the people that are just chasing the wind. But the truth be told that many of us here today, if not most of us, even as maybe believers in Jesus Christ committed to following Him, are chasing the wind when it comes to life. Because we're going after our deepest needs, sometimes very, very good things, things that God has given us to enjoy and to benefit from. But the problem comes in when these things take over our lives and become our focus and make us do things we would not normally do, almost like a drug that we've ingested and they begin to control us. If you think about the things that we chase, we we chase things we think will bring us safety and security things that will make us feel like we belong or feel loved or feel good about ourselves. And so maybe for some, that's the chasing of of a marriage or family or maybe adding children. And we define success in those things according to raising good kids who don't get into too much trouble and they're nice and they might be involved with church from time to time and so on. And we fail to understand that God's standard is different because He measures the hearts of our children. Not just what they do on the outside, though certainly that can reflect the heart, but he measures the hearts. And so sometimes as parents, we chase the wind with our children, trying to make sure that on the outside everything looks good, and we forget God looks at the heart. You see how easy it is even for Christian people to chase the wind, the wrong things that ultimately have no meaning. It doesn't matter, folks, if your children make straight A's. It doesn't matter if they're well-behaved and well-adjusted, good, productive citizens, if they don't love Jesus, they and you and we have chased the wind, period. Maybe hard to swallow, but it's true. We, we chase those things we think will help us, so we chase answers to the issues that we face. <laughs> I was talking with my dad yesterday, and I said in conversation just building on what he had said I've given up on chasing answers to most of the things in my life because it's pointless I'm not going to get them and it wears you out and yet that's what we go for some of us chase love we want to know if anybody cares we want to know how people feel about us many of us here are caught in the cycle of chasing our work and our success there or chasing money and stuff do you realize that the self-storage 
business, though it's meant to be temporary, is a $15 billion industry. There are 40,000 facilities for self-storage in America, each with an average of 55,000 square feet for a grand total of 2.2 billion square feet of temporary storage space in America. And you tell me we're not chasing the wind by going after our stuff. No offense to those who might have things in a storage building right now. But you understand that in some cases, not all, some cases, it's just storing things up. Certainly we chase money and stuff. This time of year, you get through Christmas, and then next year you figure out how to pay for it. Isn't that right? Credit card bill comes in, you think, oh my goodness, we spent that much? Oh my goodness. We often chase success, and by the world, that's defined in terms of money or recognition or advancement or prominence or status or some outward display of wealth not realizing in many cases that God's definition of success is defined in our lives by our eternal purpose, our spiritual growth, our godly character, our, our deep satisfaction and fulfillment in Him, our obedience to His commands, very different picture of success. Many of us are caught in the trap of chasing beauty or youth. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. You see that in reality shows and commercials and all that. You realize there are 100 million people in America who use anti-aging products? Anti-aging products and services, such as like special diets or plastic surgery or vitamins and minerals or hormone supplements or whatever. Our society is obsessed with it. We, we treat aging, unfortunately, as a disease that needs to be prevented or cured or something instead of realizing that we're just chasing the wind because guess what? You can't stop it. You can try to cover it up make up for it, all that stuff, but you cannot stop it. Those things are what we chase because we feel like they'll meet our deepest needs. You know, really, we, we, are, we are born to chase things. Each and every one of us, you are born to chase something. You, you, you are born to want to be loved and to want to be secure and to want to be significant and complete. Those things are perfectly normal and human. And the truth is that every human, each and every one of us, even those who don't want to admit it, those who think you're the, just the, the most free spirit and you are so independent and not bound by anything, each and every one of us must live for something and chase something. Every one of us. Even if it's just being a free spirit, you're going to chase being that. Every one of us are created to worship, to have something be the center and the core of our lives. Every one of us. You will build your life on something. And you will try through whatever means to meet your inmost needs, thinking that if I just have that, if I can just be this, if I can only experience, if I can just get to this point, then I'll feel complete. Then my life will finally have meaning. And if I don't get there, well, I'll be honest, there's not really that much I feel like living for. All of us want to know who we are and are we worth anything and does anyone like me and am I doing something that matters? Every one of us are born to try to meet those particular needs. But unfortunately, our sinful nature, which we're also born with, twists it off. And we, from our birth and because of our sinful nature, will naturally chase things that will not ultimately fulfill those deepest needs. And so most of us in here are still fighting, if not every single one of us every day, still fighting that sinful nature that wants us to chase the wind no matter what stage of life you're in. I also believe that there's, there's ignorance sometimes that plays in. Many of us just don't know 
that we're chasing the wind. I pity, I really do pity those folks, and I see them all over the place. I see them in this community all the time. Wonderful, wonderful people, we'd say. And I feel sorry for them. Because as wonderful as they are, they are chasing the wind. They're not ruthless and awful and mean. They just don't know what they're doing. They're going after things that won't last. And all we have to show for the chase is a bunch of ruined lives, a bunch of unfulfilled promises, a bunch of destroyed and distant families, a bunch of disappointment. That's what we have to show. And it's into this chasing of the wind that the teacher has spoken and the author records what he thinks about it constantly taught knowledge he weighed and he explored and he arranged these proverbs so he's given us in his words a comprehensive look you don't have to chase the wind just read ecclesiastes to find out what you'll get you don't have to if you're a young person go out and sow your wild oats just to see what's out there and what will come up it's already defined for you in universal terms the teacher has been very comprehensive he's covered all the bases of life and then he says in verse 10 that the teacher is sought to find delightful sayings, accurately record the truth. Sayings, he says, of the wise are like goads. You realize that's like a cattle prod. He's trying to poke us a little bit. He's trying to move us forward. Those from masters of collections, he says, are like embedded nails. And they're given by a shepherd. So we've seen the words here from the teacher in Ecclesiastes are meant to be received with delight. You think, oh my goodness, it seems like such a depressing book. But it's meant to be received in a way that makes sense and can be helpful to your life. I think we'd agree that if you've been here with us, we've seen that Ecclesiastes does make sense when we study it. And it is helpful for our lives. That the words of the teacher have been accurate, he says. They represent how things truly are. They've also been, unfortunately, painful. Like that cattle prod. You want to get a cow going, sometimes you've got to prod them just a little bit. And that's the way we are bunch of cows. Sheep, the Bible calls us, who wander away and need to be wrangled back in. And isn't it true, and maybe you don't want to admit this, but there have been times in the 17 weeks of this series when you have been sitting there, and I can tell you because I've been sitting in my office studying it, when I just have to close up the Bible and say, whew, that hurts. I really wish that that weren't in there. I really wish, Lord, I didn't have to preach that this Sunday. Or you're sitting there and saying, why did he have to bring that up? Isn't it true that there have been times when it's hurt just a little bit? That they've prodded us on. But it's also true that those sayings are like firmly embedded nails. They easily get stuck in our memory. I hope you never forget some of the sayings that we've seen. But they've also, these words have been pastoral. It comes from a shepherd who loves you and cares about you, ultimately God himself. And through it all, the teacher has shown us that our chasing of the wind results, as verse 8 says, in absolute futility. It results in absolute futility. You see that there on your bulletin. It should be fairly predictable at this point. We've been convicted, we've been challenged, we've been enlightened, we've been encouraged to realize that chasing the wind only results in absolute futility, and yet we're left with that option. The truth is, you can choose to chase the wind. You can leave here today and continue on the path that you've been on, and you can chase the wind. But there's another option. You can chase the wind, or you can submit to the Lord. Now that... that 
doesn't in, at first sound like something I'd want to do. Submit to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, look in verse 12. Beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. What he's telling us here, there's nothing else needed. You don't need any more books. That will never end, he says. You don't need to study any more on what the teacher has said. That's going to wear you out. He says we, we know all we need to know. More learning is not going to change reality. More knowledge isn't going to give you the answers that you need. You still can't know the unknowable and so on and so forth. What he says then is here's the deal. What, when all has been heard, verse 13, the conclusion of the matter is this. You don't need to study anymore. don't need to learn anymore. The, the sum of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. What's needed is to, first of all, fear the Lord. That word fear there means to revere, to respect, to serve, to honor, to yield to Him, to submit to Him, to delight in Him, to trust Him. If we understand who God is as the creator and judge of the entire universe, it puts us in our place pretty quickly. And it puts me in my place as a pastor pretty quickly. All the things that we honor and revere and respect and give our devotion to, the things that we chase, when we begin to understand who God is, they pale in comparison. He says to fear God is the beginning here of the conclusion of all the teacher has taught us. Here's what we should do as a result of that. Should you try to figure everything out in life? He says, no, no, no. Don't study anymore. Don't worry about all that stuff. Begin with fearing God. And then he says, fear God and keep his commands. Realize that the attitude of fearing the Lord must result in keeping his commands. Jesus said that if you're not willing to keep the Lord's commands, he said to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Why? Because they didn't do what he said to do. Super simple. You demonstrate your fear, your love for the Lord by keeping his commands. That word keep there means to observe, to cling to. It's associated with, with guarding something that's been entrusted to you. You are given the responsibility, and I am given the responsibility to keep and to guard and, and to follow the commands of the Lord. And that's really the main point of the book. The most important thing that you can do is to submit the Lord through trust, submit to the Lord rather, through trust and obedience. And the result, as he says a few times, is that there is nothing better. In, in the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe you remember a few times when he said, I've come to realize, or, or I now know there is nothing better than, or this is better than this. What he's telling us is that, that it's, it's better just to focus on the Lord, to take life as it comes from Him, to enjoy what He gives, to trust Him in the difficult parts, than it is to try to figure everything out. Submitting to the Lord, he tells us, brings a peace and a contentment that life cannot bring us if we're just chasing the wind. In Psalm chapter 46, there's a great cross-reference to this. And the psalmist says, cease striving, stop fighting, stop working, stop chasing. And he says, and know that I am God. You see the parallel between that and the end of Ecclesiastes. Many of us are fighting today against life. Many of us are chasing so many things. Maybe today God just says, stop. Stop where you are. Just stop. Wherever you are, stop. And just know, he says, that I am God. 
for some of us today, that's, that's all we need. Because maybe you're going so fast, chasing everything you can get your hands on, get your mind around, and you just need to stop this morning and know that He is God. Well, that doesn't answer my questions. You're right, it doesn't. That, that doesn't give me uh, all the things that I want to know. You're exactly right, it doesn't. But God kind of leaves us in that tension. That after all has been heard, he says, the sum of the matter is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And there is nothing better than to do that. Let me give you something that you need to know about these two options, is that you cannot do both. We go back to the would-you-rather scenario. You have to make a choice today. You, you cannot both chase the wind and submit to the Lord at the same time. I, I got some more would-you-rathers here. Maybe, maybe you'd enjoy a couple of these. But one person wrote in, would you rather accept an administrative position with an established organization or work with an independent maverick slash genius? Well, that's an interesting one. Which would you choose? Maybe you say, oh, I am that independent maverick and genius. <laughs> Maybe that's you. A, a basketball coach wrote in and said, would you rather be up one with 10 seconds on defense or down one with 10 seconds in the ball? Man, that's a tough one. And, and the same coach said that, I, I responded, and I said, well, which would you choose? And she said, I'm never giving up points. I want, I want, to, be, I want to be winning. She said, I will play defense. Somebody wrote in and said, would you rather be covered in fire ants or bees? Oh, are you kidding me? What kind of options are those? Same person uh, wrote in, and, and for some of you will appreciate this, would you rather that Justin Bieber or Twilight never existed? I don't, you know, I don't. <clears throat> That's a tough one. Would you rather have your personality change daily or your appearance change daily? Oh, that's interesting. Would you rather know the date or cause of your death? That's a tough one, isn't it? Would you rather lose all your hair or be incredibly hairy? <laughs> I have no idea which one to pick, honestly. I don't know. Don't know. Oh, that's so hard. It's really tough. You know, you, you understand. You know. Would you would you rather no one show up to your funeral or to your wedding? Imagine that. Would you rather be loved by everyone but respected by no one, or respected by everyone and loved by no one? Those are some tough ones. You know. Those seem to be, in some cases, and maybe they're humorous at some point, but they seem to be very difficult for us to decide upon. But, I, but there's a more important question for all of us. Would you rather chase the wind and gain only futility or submit to the Lord and receive what is best? That's the question today. Would you rather sub chase the wind and receive only futility? Or would you rather submit to the Lord and receive what is best? To me, that's a no-brainer, but life makes it more difficult, doesn't it? It's easy to make that choice in church, and not so easy on Tuesday morning. It's easy to say, well, yeah, I'd rather gain what God wants for me. I'd rather gain what is best. But it's that whole submitting to the Lord part that makes it difficult. 
The Bible says that we must make a choice. Joshua chapter 24 records these words. Joshua, after he's led the people into the promised land, he says, If it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. Then he goes on to say, Is it the gods of everyone around you, the idols of society? And then he says, As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. We will submit to Him. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, No one can be a slave of two masters, since he will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money, he says. And then he goes on in Luke chapter 9, and then he says these words, Jesus does. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, chases the wind and gets it all, and yet loses or forfeits himself? The Bible makes it very clear that you cannot and I cannot chase the wind and submit to God at the same time. You will always make a choice, and you're making it now every day in your life. Every day reveals the choice you have made. Are you chasing the wind or are you submitting to God? And one more thing I need to tell you, by the way, you are accountable to God. Look at verse 14 before you close everything up. You are accountable to God, verse 14, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. You are accountable to God for all things, and it includes all of us, even the things that no one knows about. Do you realize you can't fake it with God? Everybody else here may be convinced that you are submitting to the Lord and you are the absolute most perfect Christian that's ever walked the face of the earth. But God knows your heart. God knows whether you're truly chasing the wind or submitting to Him. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the people around you think. It doesn't matter what this church thinks about you. It only matters what God knows about you. He knows whether you're chasing the wind whether you're submitting to him, even if you've got everybody else fooled. Nothing goes unnoticed, it says. Now this ought to awaken us to action. It ought to transform our lives to know that God sees it all. Let that go with you this week. God sees it all. He sees the bad, the things that really we, we know should not be a part of our lives. The things that I'll answer for, he says, but he also sees the good, which means that nothing you do is pointless. That job that you hate, that daily grind that you don't like anymore, those people that you're around, none of it is pointless because God sees it all. He knows and he cares about every single aspect of your life. It says he'll bring to judgment every hidden thing, whether hidden or, or, or visible, rather, everything which is either good or evil. He knows it all. And judgment is typically a fearful thing, but I want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear in the judgment that's to come. Nothing. God has removed His wrath from you, placed it on Jesus Christ. And if you are covered by His blood through your faith in Him as the only means for salvation, then you have, the Bible says, escaped the wrath of God. It is no longer upon you. So in light of all that we have learned in the book of Ecclesiastes, would you rather chase the wind or submit to the Lord. You say, well, I, I'd rather submit to the Lord. What do I do? I would encourage you this morning, from the bottom of my heart, if you find yourself as a person who is chasing the wind, the Bible calls it very simply the need for repentance. 
to repent. Not a word we like in our world today, but to repent. And in so doing, admit, I'm going the wrong way. Lord Jesus, I am repenting today, turning around from chasing the wind. Believe in Jesus as all you truly need in your life. The Savior of your soul, the one who can help you overcome your chasing of the wind. I also encourage you to receive his love today. I don't want you to get away without understanding this comes from the love of Jesus himself. His love confers upon you a status of being forgiven, of being secure, of being debt-free, of being righteous, eternally saved from judgment. And that's a status you can't get from the things this world has to offer. It's only because of the love of Jesus. So repent today. Believe in Him. Receive His love and submit to Him just as you are, just as life is, and make Him the object of what you chase. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as we close. And I realize that there may be folks here today who, who would appreciate being guided in a prayer that would sort of sum up what we've looked at this morning. Maybe you recognize that you are currently chasing the wind in some particular area of life. And you understand, based upon what we've seen, that God is convicting you and wanting to send you in a different direction. I want you, I'm going I'm to read just a very simple prayer that maybe in your heart or you whisper to the Lord that you need to repeat the words of the prayer. They're not magical words, but if they come from a heart of faith, I guarantee you that God will respond. And He will begin the process of transforming your life from this point forward. So maybe with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're a person who simply needs to come to the Lord and submit to Him, you'd repeat this prayer in your heart or through whispering it to the Lord. You'd repeat it after me. Lord Jesus, I repent from chasing the wind. I believe you are all I truly need to be complete in life. I receive your love today and the status that it brings to me. I submit to you and to your will for my life. I want you to be the only thing I chase. Our Lord, we pray that those prayers would come from our hearts. That at the end of this series, as we've seen what chasing the wind brings us, that we would, that we would this morning respond to you by submission and faith and repentance. Be the only thing, Lord Jesus, that we individually and as a church, the only thing that we chase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.